Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Just thrilled to get back to share with you at summertime. And I don't like when the sun comes back out and the sky gets blue. It's like I feel like let's go. You know, like you just find like a whole new energy that you didn't even know that you had before. And so I'm excited about today. Are you excited about today? We'll have a good day. Why don't you turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus? We're gonna look at Exodus chapter 25. And I want us to talk today. Well, about a few things, but we're going to end up talking about worship. I know. Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 10. It says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two cubits and a half shall be its length. A cubit and a half its breadth. Goodness, I thought my eyes were better than that. I got to get up here close to me. Its breadth and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and outside you shall overlay it. And you shall make on it a molding of gold around it. And you shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet. Two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. And you shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. And you shall put the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark and carry the ark by them. And the poles shall remain in the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And you shall put the ark of the testimony that I give to you. And then jump down to verse 22, and it says, There I will meet you from above the mercy seat. From between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in the commandment for the people of Israel. Father God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your glory. We thank you that you are a God who is with us. And as you are with us in this place and in this space and in this time and in this moment, I ask you to speak to us clearly, God. I thank you that what happens today God would change our lives and change our hearts and change our city and change our families because of what you speak to us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So while we were away, Phil and I and some friends went on a like four-wheel expedition, like on an ATV out in the woods in the mountains expedition adventure thing, right? So we're on these four-wheelers, and we get going, and we're going up this trail that is like, it's like woods on either side. We're going up a mountain. Phil's in front of me. A friend is behind me. There's like a line of other people who have signed up for this outdoor excursion, and it's rocks, and it's all of the goods, and I am hating it. We get like 15 minutes into this like two-hour excursion that we have signed up for, and I am like, what is this? And we stop at the very first, like it's like this lookout. It's gorgeous, and it's picturesque, and it's mountains for 360. And we stop, and we're getting off, and Phil looks at me, and he goes, you okay? I go, 
I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. And anyone who knows any other humans knows that when they get their jaw tight and say to you, I'm fine, I'm fine, they are in fact never fine. That is the answer of someone who's trying to find a way to be honest without absolutely ruining everything that is possibly happening right now. And I'm like, it's going to be, it's going to be fine. We get back on the bikes, we start going again, and I'm like, how long is this adventure going on? But then we come to this clearing, we come out of the woods, and we're on these like mountain riverbeds, and we start going through water, and we're going on like all of these rocks, and all of a sudden, I'm loving every, I'm like, this is fantastic. Can we stay in this part? This has been so much fun. And then we get to the other side of the riverbed and we're back on the trail in between the woods and it's woods on both sides and people in front and back. And once again, I'm like, when can we just get back to the other part? Because that part was good and I don't like what's going on on this part. And so I'm trying to, I like to reflect what's going on in me. Why am I feeling what I'm feeling? Why is everyone else having a blast? And I'm like counting down the minute. What is going? And I realize when I'm in the woods, I feel very boxed in. There's someone in front of me and there's someone behind me, and there's woods on either side of me, and I feel like I am in a box, I am in my own, and nobody likes the feeling of being boxed in. Nobody likes the feeling of everything is moving in on you. Nobody likes the feeling of there are restrictions on my right and on my left and on my front and on my back. It's a terrible feeling to look and suddenly think I am boxed in on absolutely every side of me. When you are in your workplace and you feel the constriction and the restriction of the structure that they have set up or the red tape that's moving around you that feels like it's holding you in your place. Nobody likes the feeling of feeling boxed in. Nobody likes the feeling of driving down the road and traffic and looking and thinking, I can't get out of this on either way and either side. One of the things they teach you when you start driving is that you should always make sure you're in a position that you could get out of quickly if you don't box yourself in in case of emergency. The feeling of being boxed in is not a good feeling when you're boxed in in the parameters around you. And the feeling of being boxed in is not a good feeling when you're boxed in in your mindset, when you have thought and patterns and ways of thinking that box you into a specific view of how the world works or who you are or where you can go. It brings you into a place of tightness and of restriction that causes us to feel uncomfortable, that gives us that when you ask someone, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. I'm fine. And you can see that the boxes in their mind are restricting the world around them. No one likes a boxed-in feeling of being typecast, that you are that role. 
whatever the role is that has been assigned to you in your workplace, whatever the role is that has been assigned to you by society. Nobody likes that feeling of being boxed in on a specific, any young adult who has ever moved away from home and then gone home for a visit knows that boxed in feeling of being typecast right back into the role that everyone thinks that you're supposed to play. Oh great, you're home now, you're gonna be the one to tell us jokes again and you're like, I'm 23 years old, I'd like to grow up and be known for some serious things, but you have been boxed in as the joker in your family because when you were four years old, you told a joke that everybody laughed at at the family reunion and now you are typecast as the family comedian and you're like, it's 19 years later, I would like to grow into a new role in my life. I don't want to be boxed into this type anymore. Nobody likes that feeling. And I am familiar with the feeling of being typecast. When I was in Virginia, it's fantastic. This is an occurrence that happens to me on a regular basis. Someone came up to me after the service and says to me, you know, when I saw you get up there, I didn't really, well, I didn't really know what to expect. But you can really preach. I'm going to start asking people back, what did you think was going to happen? But she had typecast me in her mind by whatever parameters of her mindset create a specific box of what it looks like or what it sounds like or what it means to be a preacher or what style of preaching she thought she was going to hear or she thought she was going to experience. There was a typecast, and when I was typecast in that mold, I was typecast in a way that it allowed the package that it came in to surprise her in such a way that it destabilized and dis armed her and you know sometimes there's a benefit to a box when the box takes you by surprise when the box isn't what you expected that it would be as much as we hate to be boxed in there are ways and there are moments that the box itself becomes a benefit to us when the box is an unexpected thing that arrives in our life when the box is something that causes us to grow in anticipation or grow in excitement, it becomes part of the process. If you think about things like Christmas presents under a tree, they grow the anticipation and the excitement because the box itself becomes part of the excitement and part of the process. Sometimes the box is the very package that it brings us in and brings us to an encounter with. Sometimes a box is of benefit to us. Sometimes the box itself becomes the safety and the parameters that causes us to know how far we can go and how far we should stay. If you think about a fence around a yard, there is benefit sometimes to a box. The constriction of a box causes us to create creativity and to find forms that we didn't think we would find in other places, in other spaces, because the constriction of that box is moving in on us. You never would have become who you became without the pressure of the box that you were placed inside of. You never would have built what you built if it wasn't for the pressure of the box that 
that was built around you, you never would have formed into who you have formed into if it wasn't for others portraying on you a box of who they thought you could be or who you thought you should be. The box sometimes has a benefit to us if we know what box we're in and we know what the benefit of the box that we're walking in and that we're carrying has. There is benefit to a box sometimes and the children of Israel find themselves wandering in the desert. And they're wandering in the desert with a God who has saved them, but they do not know. They know the ways of Egypt and they know the ways of slavery. And though God has become their savior, they do not know him. I wonder how many of us find ourselves in the seat of saying, God, I have been saved by you, but I don't know you. I don't know who you are, God. I feel that you have called me, and I feel that I have come home, and I've raised my hand, and I've said yes to you, but I don't yet know you. Or the barrier that so many of us find ourselves in that we have understood God and we have studied God and we have known God because we think that the entry path to God is by understanding him and by knowing him. But we have never truly surrendered our hearts to God in a way that says my life is yours because we think it is when I fully comprehend who he is that I will somehow be able to open my heart to him. And God says, that's not how my thing works. My thing does not work that when you understand me, you are saved. My thing works that when I save you, then out of his goodness and out of his grace and out of his everlasting love and his mercy, he begins to reveal himself to you and says, now that we are walking together, let me walk you into a path of understanding. And the children of Israel are there in the midst of the desert with a God who loves them, with a God who has saved them and a God they do not know. And so he gives them an ark. He gives them the ark of the covenant. He gives them the chest of his testimony. He gives them a box in the wilderness to say, I need to teach you about who I am. See, the children of Israel had only experienced gods who had only experienced those who worshiped deities who were made in a form, who were made in a way that you would come and that you would worship that thing and weighed in such a way that you would come and that you would know exactly where and exactly who you were paying their homage to. And now they find themselves in the middle of the wilderness and they're wondering who is this God who splits the Red Sea and who is this God who came to save us and God says let me give you something and he gives them the benefit of a box a box that he is going to use to reveal himself to them in fresh and in new ways that he is going to use to show them exactly who he is and he gives them details about the beauty and the artistry of how this box is to be made and is to be laid out because he's trying to explain to them and show them and demonstrate to them that I am a God of incredible intentionality and I am a God of incredible detail and I am a God of unmatchless beauty and 
and I am a God who created all of the artistry that you have ever known. When you look at all of creation, that is the beauty of who I am. And when you look at all of the wonders around you, that is the artistry that came from the very spoken word of God. And he says to them, let me give you something in physical form so that you can understand when you make this box, it's going to be beautiful in all of its ways. And I'm going to give you details about exactly how to lay it out and where I want you to put it and what this box is supposed to look like because I want you to understand that I am a God of detail and I am a God of beauty and I am a God of artistry. And when he's laying out those details, he says, and by the way, put four rings on each side and put two poles on each side. And when you make the poles, don't ever take the poles out of the box. It's an odd thing, actually, if you think about it. If the poles are never going to come out of the box, why don't we just make handles? Handles are intended to stay on the box. If we're making poles that go in rings, I would think that every time we set it down, we take out the poles. But he says, I want you to put poles in the box that remain in the box because I want you to understand that this box is supposed to stay in ready position. That this chest that I'm giving you is always in the mode where it could move. That it is always in the mode that it can go with you. That it is always prepared because you don't ever want to get too settled with my presence. He says this box is the place where my presence will dwell among you. And what you have to understand about my presence is that my presence is a place that will move with you. When I say move, then my presence goes in that direction and goes in that place with you. What you have to understand about the box is that it doesn't settle for too long in one place because if it settles for too long in one place, you think that that place is holy instead of that my presence is holy. And so he says, I have a box that is made with two poles on the inside of it and I want you to keep it ready at all times that wherever it might go, that my presence could go with it. And he starts to tell them then about how the top of this box is a lid, is a covering that they call the mercy seat, that they call the covering lid, that they call the place where his reconciliation, this is the place where his presence comes. And he says, this is the place where I meet with you and where reconciliation will happen. He's telling them, I am a God that restores to you. I am a God who redeems you. I am a God who has brought you out of the wilderness and into relationship relationship with me, the reconciliation there that he uses to describe this covering that he gives them for the box that fits perfectly on the top, says you once were alienated from me and you once were far from me and you once were separate from me, but now I have brought you into a place where you are now friends with me. It means to bring into friendship. It means to bring into a relationship of allies, of those who work together. He's telling them what you need to understand about me. If you're going to know who I am, you have to understand that when you come into my presence, what you meet in my presence is a place where those who once were alienated from me now once again become friends with me, who come into a friendship and a, re and a relationship with me. When you come in the presence of this chest, of this box that I have given you, there's a benefit in this box because you once were alienated 
but where my presence is, your friendship is restored, and you are now once again in right relationship with God. This is what it means to know who God is. This is what it means to understand what it is to be in his presence. He's bringing them into an understanding of who he is. And he starts giving them information about how they're to handle the box and how they're to approach the box. And what it is to come near the box and who can come and when they can come and how they come. And he says, when you build a tent, I want you to know that this is where the box is to be placed in the tent. And when you come into the tent, this is who comes in and this is how they come in. And this is the way that they should come in because he's explaining to them that my box, this is a holy place. This isn't like every other place that you go, and my presence isn't like every other thing that you encounter. Though we are friends, don't get confused that this is, we have little kids, and anyone who has little kids knows that every so often, they get a little excited, and they start feeling a little bit grown, and you have to remind them, I'm not one of your little friends. I don't know how you think you're talking to me right now, but I am not one of your little friends. And God starts outlining things for them about how to come into his presence and how to approach him. And when I read all of the details, I hear God saying from on high, don't get confused. I am not one of your little friends. Do not come up in here any kind of way. Do not approach me just any kind of way because I am altogether separate from anything you have ever experienced and anything you have ever encountered. I am altogether different from everyone that you speak to and everyone that you know. When you come into my presence, there is a way to enter into my presence to remind you that this place is a place that is holy. He gives them a box to help them understand how to approach him and how to come near to him and how to welcome him in and how to revere the holiness of who he is. There is a benefit in this box and he gives them a box so that they can have a visible representation of this invisible God for a physical people to understand in the smallest of ways to grasp what it is to worship and to magnify and to be in the presence of a holy, magnificent God. He gives them a visible representation because this is what God knows about me and what God knows about you is that we were designed and we were created for worship. Worship is why he formed us and worship is why he made us and worship is why he placed us in a garden and worship is what we will do for all of eternity with all of the things that will cease and with all of the things that will fall away and with all of the things that will never be our worship will continue to go and because we are made to worship and because the God that we worship is an invisible God though we live in a visible world our hearts are pulled time and time again to worship the visible thing the tangible thing that I can find to wrap my hand around or to wrap my mind around or to latch myself onto that I need a visible something to direct my attention to and to give my focus to and without 
out this beneficial box that he has given me in the wilderness. I am prone to building altars of my own and I am prone to making idols of my own and I am prone to wandering in a way where I think it's the mountain that I worship or it's the idol that I built that I worship or it's the location that I worship or it's the career that I've built that I worship or it's the family that I've made that I worship or it's the successes that I've added up that I worship or it's the amount in my bank account that I worship and it's the things that are visible that our hearts are prone to being pulled to and are prone to being drawn to because we can point to it and we can look at it and even things that are good we say look at my health Look at my physical health and look at my mental health and look at my soul health and look how healthy I am. And I worship the health that I have in my body or I worship the relationships that I have. I worship the spouse that he gave me because I am drawn to worshiping visible, physical things that I can wrap my mind around and wrap my body around and wrap my thoughts around and say, this is the place where I have come to worship. And God is trying to help them understand though he is invisible, Visible. He condescends yet again to say, I will allow my presence to rest wherever this box is. And there's a benefit in the box because it gives them something to focus their attention on. And it gives them something to say, this is a physical representation of who my God is. And this is what he looks like. And here's some things about him that I can understand. And they find out that everywhere that box goes, his presence goes. And they find out that everywhere the box is, there's a benefit for them to be found in that place that if his presence goes before them in battle they win every time that if his presence is sitting with them in the midst of their city then it flourishes and it's blessed that if his presence is in the place where he has called it to be planted that their cities cannot help but be a place where his abundance pours out they find out that there is a benefit to this box and they need it so badly that David goes to recover it because their enemies have found out that there's a benefit to the box and even if you're not the people he first gave it to, if you can just get your hands on that box, there's something about the presence that just moves with it and goes with it. And David goes and he says, I'm going to bring the box home. And there's a man named Obed-Edom who finds out even if the box ends up in your house by accident, it causes everything around you to flourish. And it causes everything around you to be blessed. And it causes everything in you to sprout up and to prosper. That peace is where the box is. And joy is where the box is. Abundance is where the box is. Harvest is where the box is. Laughter is where the box is. Rejoicing is where the box is. Success is where the box is. Victory is where the box is. There's victory and joy and rejoicing everywhere the presence goes because they find out that there is a benefit in the box in this visible form that God has given them. And yet, how can a holy God who is divine, who created the heavens and the earth, who created all of the wonder of creation, who spoke and it caused the light and the darkness to separate and the waters and the oceans to be separated. How can this mighty visible God be confined to a four-foot box and say this 
is where my presence will dwell. But he knows that his people need a visible form, that they need a visible focus to give their attention to and to give their direction to. But he's in this box where he has said, my presence will be in that place. And this is not enough because we cannot contain God to a box. Though there is benefit in the box and though there is understanding in the box and though there is learning from the box and though there is blessing in the box and though there is victory in the box, The box can never contain a God. And look what Paul says when he writes to the church in Colossians. He says, and then in Colossians 1 and 15, he says, He being Christ then is the image of the invisible invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. God could not be contained to a box, but he needed to give us a new level of demonstration of what a visible God looks like. And so Jesus came out of the expanse of heaven and stepped down into earth and he said this is what a visible God looks like this is what it looks like when the invisible God of all creation steps into earth this is what it looks like when the invisible puts on flesh and steps into a visible form for an invisible God moved into all of creation and he said you need to know what God looks like look at Jesus you need to know what it looks like for the invisible God to move around and to walk around and to interact with people. Look at Jesus. You need to know where to focus your worship and your attention. There it is. Look at Jesus. You need to know what it looks like. There it is. That's what it looks like when God walks around with flesh on. And that's what it looks like when God gets in the midst of the earth. And that's what it looks like for God to show up in physical form. It doesn't look like gold and it doesn't look like idols and it doesn't look like anything that could be crafted with your hand. It looks like Jesus walking around. He said, what do I look like? I look like one who didn't come to be served but to serve others what do I look like I look like one who came to lay down my life as a ransom for many what do I look like I look like one who came to love my neighbors as myself what do I look like I look like one so wrapped up in contentment with this moment that all of the striving melts away from my life what do I look like I look like one so connected to the father that everywhere he moves I move and everything he speaks I do what does it look like to be found in worship it looks like giving all of our attention and all of our focus and all of our direction on the person of Jesus of studying him so intently and locking our eyes on him so clearly and being so focused on who he is that everywhere see this is the thing about the box for the box to move the people had to move it They moved it when God said to move it, but somebody had to go and had to pick up those poles and had to walk with that box. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus doesn't need no poles. Jesus doesn't need you. Here's the thing about Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to lock eyes on where he's going so closely because he's not just walking in a path that you always understand. And he's not just walking in a way that's always going to make sense. And he didn't send GPS to Uh, directions in advance for you you have to lock your eyes on him so closely that you say Jesus where you going everywhere you go Jesus that's the place I'm going and you have to walk so close because sometimes he moves before you know that he's moving and you have to because you got him you never know he 
might just do a, a turnaround on you and you have to keep so close to him that you say, Jesus, if you go left, I'm going left. And Jesus, if you go right, I'm going, if we're going forward, I'm going forward with Jesus. I cannot get away from you because the way that I worship you is by looking at who you are, is by focusing intently on the person of Jesus, is by putting all of my attention and all of my direction. There is an authentic, a true worship that comes to those who worship him in spirit and in truth. And it's when we become a representation of what happens, what Jesus does becomes what we do because we've spent so much time looking closely at him. We've spent so much time in his presence. We've spent so much time right up on him like, Jesus, you couldn't lose me if you tried because I'm right here. I could grab the hem of his garment. I'm so close to you that everywhere you move that all of a sudden his mannerisms become my mannerisms. His speech becomes my speech. His walk becomes my walk. And all of the sudden, the way I behave, not in this room and not in this gathering and not just when the songs are playing, but the way that I behave in my week to week, the way that I speak to those around me and the way that I reconcile with my friends and the way that I demonstrate his love becomes my worship as much as any song that I sing. True worship is not just the worship that happens on the mountaintop. It's the worship that happens when you're wandering and you meet somebody by a well in the mundane of your day to day, in the mediocre part of the middle of your week of your life. What happens in the other 166 hours in the midst of your week when you go and you find yourself in his midst and you find yourself in the city and you find yourself among people that is our worship and too many times we come in here and we shout and we sing and we clap and we get loud as we want to but when we leave the same words on our lips and when we leave the same faith isn't in our heart and when we leave, the same joy doesn't well up on the inside of us because it's a performance that we save for Sundays more than it's a reformation of who I am from the inside out. And God forgive us for every time that we have worshipped you on a Sunday morning and not walked with you for the rest of our week. For every time we have proclaimed faith and then walked out and made agreement with doubt. For every time we have sung of your joy and laid down God and said yes and went to bed with depression. God forgive us for every time we have said that you are holy and we have left this place and behaved God in unholy. Give us an authentic worship. Give us an authentic praise. Give us a true worship God that is found in your people because when Jesus hung on that cross it says he breathed his last and he said it is finished and when he said it is finished there was a veil that separated the holy of holies where the presence of God resided in that place from the rest of the creation. And it said that veil tore from the top to the bottom and his presence moved out.
everywhere. And after that, Jesus said, where can my presence be found? Not in the midst of a box. My presence won't be found behind a veil any longer. You know who I am and you understand who I am. Now my presence is found in the midst of my people. Anywhere that my people gather and anywhere that my people come together, that is the place where you will find a visible demonstration of who God is. You want to know who God is? Look at his people. He said, you want to know who I am now? Look at the way my people create crafts and art artistry and write songs and make murals. You want to understand what my beauty is? Look at the way that they gather together in excellence. You want to understand who I am and the way that I reconcile? Look at how my people lead with love. You want to understand who I am? Look at how my people revere me and hold my name as holy and carry my name upon them. You want to know who I am? Watch how my people, the visible demonstration of who God is, is not found in a box. He decided to put the visible demonstration of who he is on a people who walk so closely with him and who are so in tune with him and are so connected with him that they say, I cannot help but lift up a song and lift up a shout and lift up a praise and make his name visible in the midst of our city. When we gather in life group, it's a visible demonstration of who he is. When we outreach in our community, it's the visible demonstration of who he is. And when we gather on a Sunday morning all around the world, when his people gather in buildings and fields and beaches and underground rooms, they become the visible representation of who God is. The reason that we sing and the reason we can't get quiet and the reason we have a shout and the reason we know there's a victory and the reason his praise goes before us is because this becomes the visible manifestation of his presence. I can't stand here and listen to somebody else sing a song because I have to lift up a shout and I have to lift up a praise and I have to glorify the God of gods and the King of kings. I have to say that he's worthy and I have to say that he's holy because he's given me a responsibility to bring a presentation of who he is right here, right now into the midst of this city for these people. 